glad that you're listening to this podcast. This podcast is a ministry of the Bonners Ferry Baptist Church and of Pastor Devin Neal. All right, First John chapter 2, beginning in verse 12. I write unto you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. I write unto you, fathers, because ye have known him that is from the beginning. I write unto you, young men, because ye have overcome the wicked one. I write unto you, little children, because ye have known the Father. I have written unto you, fathers, because ye have known him that is from the beginning. I have written unto you, young men, because ye are strong, and the word of God abideth in you, and ye have overcome the wicked one. Uh, I would ask this, is John writing the epistle to little children? Is he writing it to fathers, or is he writing it to young men? And the answer is yes, he's writing to all. Uh, One of the things that immediately comes out of this text, and as I was reading some other men, was aptly pointed out is that we always need the written Word of God, and the written Word of God is for you at every phase of spiritual development. There's not a point where we don't further need instruction. Uh, You don't grow to the point and say, well, my sins are forgiven, that's all the Bible I need. I got saved. That's that's what the Bible is for, to get me saved. Some may say, well, I got saved and now uh, I, I have uh, spiritually grown to where I have victory over temptation. That's all the Bible I need. I'm saved and victorious. Some would say, well, I'm saved and victorious and leading and winning others to Christ. I, I don't need anything more than that. No, John's saying uh, he was still writing God's word to them in this epistle. And he's saying it's there's something I'm writing to each one of you, though you're at different phases of spiritual development, uh, each one needs it. I may be just getting a little ahead of myself, but I want to break these three verses down into three parts, just very simply, uh, beginning with the recipients that he that he's communicating with, the recipients of his communication. And so I, I really can't help but as I read First John, what I, what I perceive based on what is said in chapter 1 about if we say that we, that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth, and so the concept of light and dark and light and dark is, is mentioned and referenced throughout the, the entire book. So in essence, there were those who, who would seem to be telling them they had light that the, the people that John is serving and ministering to uh, did not have. We remember and know that Second Corinthians 11 says that Satan transforms himself into an angel of light. He's always telling us that he has more knowledge than what God has given us, that outside of the revelation of God's word, there is, there is more to know. And John says, no, uh, we, have, we have the light in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you, you walk with him by walking in the light or the revelation of his word. And so I believe that, that, that entire concept goes throughout where there were those who, who projected themselves as elite because they had light and everybody else was in darkness. When in fact those people were walking in darkness and the people that were born again and had believed the gospel were in the light. And so as we come into this, it's interesting to me that it seems to me that John is trying to, to, to communicate very clearly the relationship that God's people have with each other. He is John the apostle. He himself has handled the Lord. And yet we, we found in 1 John chapter 1 that he said, our goal is not to alienate ourselves from you by our experience. We've actually handled the Lord but the, the purpose of that was not to make us elite. It wasn't to make us apostles way up here. We've handled him. You haven't. You've never experienced him in the flesh. We have. 
Uh, no, he said the purpose of that is that you may have, we have fellowship with God the Father with His Son, and we want you to have the same fellowship. We want to use our experience with the Lord Jesus Christ to bring you without sight into the same experience. And yet there are those, and we know this, this helped develop what is today known as Catholicism, there were those who said we have an experience or a nearness to Christ through our education or through our status or through our, uh, our upbringing that you cannot have, and so you have to trust us to communicate the true light. There are things that that clergy understand that the laity will never get. And that concept is still alive and well. May I say this? There are distinctions between God's people, even in understanding, but it has to do, and I think this is what John's trying to do in this text, is clarify, it has to do, no one is more a child of God than the rest. Each one has equal access to the Father, equal love from God the Father, But the distinction between God's people is in levels of maturity, levels of gifting or different types of gifting, Ephesians 4 says, and levels of maturity, not position, not significance, not importance, uh, but, uh, but maturity and therefore responsibility. You'll notice throughout the New Testament epistles that leadership was entrusted to, and what kind of term was used broadly, that the people that were leading are supposed to be, they're called elders, meaning those that were, and that doesn't mean physically old, they didn't have to be over a certain age physically, but those that were seasoned in the faith, those who had first been proven, those who had been tested and tried and had gotten some spiritual victory, the elder were supposed to be serving the younger by leading them. It's what First Peter 5 says. The younger were to submit to the elder, and so it's like a family. The older, the older siblings look out for and help teach and train the younger siblings how to live in the father's family. And I believe John is communicating, again, that family relationship. And so in, in dealing with, as we look at the recipients and how he addresses the people he's writing to, I believe he's seeking to establish there's not a, there's not a caste system in God's working. Uh, our distinctions are not, um, they're not between the super saint and, and the, you know, the guy that's to sit under the pew. It's, it's not like that. We're all members of the same family. So I would deal with in the recipients, there's a common denominator. Each one of them, he referred to them broadly in verse 7 as brethren. He said, brethren, I write no new commandment unto you. Uh, which, which of our nine children is more of our children than the rest? Kaysen, he's the firstborn. Brooklyn, she's the baby. So they're the bookends. Is one of them more one of our children than the rest? Now, which one of them is loved more by their parents? Not a one. Not a one. They each have equal standing. Now, which one probably has more responsibility? Which one has the least responsibility? Back there. Why? And in between are different levels of responsibility because of different levels of maturity. I promise you, I expect different things from Kaysen or Colton than I do from Brooklyn or from Benson. We expect different things because they're at a different level. Here's what Benson and Brooklyn know. They know who their mom and daddy are. If you said to Brooklyn, where's your mama? She could say, that's mama. If you said to Benson, who's your daddy? He could say, that's my daddy. But I promise you, there's a lot they don't know. If I asked them who my grandpa was, they couldn't tell you that. Now, these other kids could. My older kids know a lot more about me as their earthly father than my younger ones. The younger ones know who their dad is, but the other ones know a little bit more about their genealogy, where they came from, strengths, weaknesses, all those kind of things. As you grow and mature, you understand your position in the family and what that means to you. If that works in the physical family, it certainly does in the spiritual family. And John says the common denominator is 
you're all brethren. Some of you are little children. Some of you are young men, meaning you have, you've been at this for a bit and you're strong. Some of you are fathers, meaning you've lived long enough to reproduce yourself and teach others. You're not only, you know, a father does a lot of things. Uh, he's lived long enough to, uh, to, to understand life and have some experiences. But a father has brought other children into the world and is teaching and instructing them. One of the marks of a spiritual mature Christian is they're not only themselves walking with the Lord, they're teaching others how to serve the Lord as well. And so John divides it this way, but what he's making clear is the relationship inside the family of God is just that. We're all brethren. We all have the same relationship with God the Father. One of the reasons I'm a Baptist is because one of the distinctives of being a Baptist is the, uh, the priesthood of every believer. Every child of God has equal access to God through faith in Jesus Christ. So the common denominator of his recipients, they're all members of the same family. But the component of distinction is that he is distinguishing them from one another in, on the basis of their maturity. So what he says is this, I write unto you little children because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. I write unto you fathers. He goes, he goes from bookend to bookend. He says, I'm talking to little children. He divides spiritual maturity into three phases. You're a little child, or you're a father, or you're a young man. You're either a little child, or you're a, a fully matured adult, or you're somewhere in between. And so he, he addresses it in that way. Uh, for sake of outline, I've said he's addressed the sucklings, those that are still living on milk. That's what little children do. They live on milk. That's what James chapter 5 says. Uh, excuse me, Hebrews chapter 5 and First Peter chapter 2, verse 2. Then there were the seasoned, that's the fathers. And then there's the strong, and that's how he addresses the young men. So the recipients in his communication are all members of the same family. That's their common denominator, but not all at the same level of maturity. That's true in this room tonight. That's true here tonight. You have some who've been saved for just a little bit of time. Their understanding and their, their comprehension, what they gain from being in Christ is different from what someone who's been saved a number of years. May I say this? The number of years you've been saved is not necessarily the indicator of your spiritual maturity. You can be saved 30 years and still a babe. And, but nonetheless, that's not the way it should be. So the recipients of his communication. Number two, the reasoning of his communication. He explains why he writes them. He does not say anywhere here, these things I write unto you that you might become a member of God's family. He understands and knows. John operates from the standpoint of if you've been saved, you're in. <laughs> you're either in God's family or you're not in God's family. And Scripture is primarily addressed, in fact it is, it is addressed to God's children. It is God's word to us as his children. We are to use Scripture to preach to the unsaved, but must understand the Bible was not written to lost men. I believe lost men must hear the Bible to get saved. Don't misunderstand me. But they've got to hear it from a saved person. You understand the Ethiopian eunuch. He was in his chariot, and he's reading Isaiah chapter 53. And Philip says, Understandest thou what thou readest? And he says, How can I? Except some man should guide me. Meaning he needed someone who actually knew what that meant to tell him because he's lost, spiritually discerned. And so John is writing to his brethren. This is to the family members. And he says, it's interesting to me, all the reasons that he says he wrote to them are reasons some might say they don't need to be written to anymore. I referenced it earlier as we began this. He says, little children, verse 12, I write unto you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. Listen to how he worded that. He didn't say, I write unto you, little children, so that you can get forgiveness of sins. 
But there are some people who once they've gotten saved and say, well, I know enough of what the Bible says and I'm resting my faith in Jesus Christ. Salvation is the ultimate goal. That's, I'm done. I don't really need more instruction. God showed me I was lost. Show me that Christ would save me. I know I'm saved. I know my sins are forgiven. Good enough. John said, this is the very reason I'm writing to you. And I believe what he's saying is, what establishes the relationship for me as an elder brother to write to you is the fact that you are in the family. Your sins are forgiven you. That makes you and I in the same family. And John's saying, therefore, because your sins are forgiven you, for Christ's sake, I have a responsibility to tend to you. I believe that's what he's saying. What established their relationship is that they were members of the same family. He says that in verse 12, and then in the end of verse 13, he says, I write unto you, little children, because you have known the Father. What he's saying is your sins are forgiven for Christ's sake. Let me just remind us of that tonight. He had said in the first part of this chapter, my little children, these things write I unto you that you sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he is the propitiation for our sins. And not friars only, but also for the sins of the whole world. We must remember our sins are forgiven us, not for our sake. That blows work salvation out the door. Our sins are forgiven us for Christ's sake. Even the baby in Christ understands that. God forgave my sins because of what Jesus did, not because of what I did. That's what it means. I ask God for salvation in Jesus Christ's name. Lord, I'm, I'm asking you, Lord Jesus, to save my soul. And I believe this. Jesus goes to God the Father and says, Another one has come, and our pardon is granted on our faith in Jesus Christ. Now, that's elementary Christianity. There are people today, that's all... By the way, that's, that's wonderful. But should we stay there? What's your understanding of Christianity? I'm forgiven for Christ's sake. There are people today, that's all they know. That's, that's it. They've never grown beyond the comprehension that Christ... They believe this, salvation, God saving me, forgiving my sins and making me his child was the ultimate goal. So once that happened, that's all there is to it. I can go merrily on my way, eat, drink and be merry for tomorrow we die and go to heaven. There's a lot of people today caught up in this radical grace movement and that's all they can talk about. I'm forgiven for Christ's sake. I'm forgiven for Christ's sake. Nothing I do can make me lose my salvation. Amen. That's true. But that's elementary, dear Watson. <laughs> that's the beginning. I understood that when I was four or five years old. So do many of you, and you're that age, when you got saved. That God saved me because I trusted His Son like He told me to, and He promised me forgiveness of my sins. And that made me one of His children. But as many as received Him, to them gave He power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on His name. John 1, 12. I mean, that is elementary. That's what little children need to understand. By the way, when you're a little child spiritually, you know your sins are forgiven you for Christ's sake, and therefore you've known the Father. Now, what he's saying is you recognize because your sins are forgiven for Christ's sake, you know spiritually who your Father is. Through Christ, you've been made a child of God. Let's look very quickly at Romans chapter 8. So the sucklings, he writes to them because they're members of the family. You are members of the family, and I want to speak more to you. Why would that be? Because he wants them to grow. I believe he wants the sucklings to become young men and the young men to become fathers. That was the goal, spiritual development. Uh, Peter said the same thing. He said uh, that uh, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that ye may grow thereby. Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. When he says to the little children, these things write unto you because your sins are forgiven you for Christ's sake. 
these things right unto you because you have known the Father. What he's saying is uh, there was a recognition that through the forgiveness of their sins, they were members of God's family and they had received the spirit of adoption. When you get saved, God works in your heart and his spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. How many of you ever had a thought like this since putting your trust in Christ? I probably shouldn't be doing that. Meaning, you start to do something, you think, I shouldn't be doing that. What, why? What makes a person think, I shouldn't do that? When, when, I, when I tell a lie, something inside me says, that's not appropriate. Now, everybody knows a lie is sin. But there's a distinction. You ever had a thought like this? Uh, someone like myself should not be doing something like that. Someone like myself, what does that mean? Someone who's saved. Someone who belongs to God. It sh- you, there is a sense in your spirit... I am not living up to who I am. You know what I'm talking about? The Spirit of God bearing witness with your spirit, your mind now. I don't want you to use your body that way. I don't want you to use your mind that way. I don't want you to have that attitude in your heart. That's no longer who you are. I'm going to tell you something. There will be a, a great contradiction in your soul when you're saved and you live like you're lost. You can. You can still sin and disobey, but there will be a contradiction inside of you that wouldn't be there if you were lost. Your conscience may bug you and you may feel a bit of shame, but when you're saved, fundamentally you know this isn't right. This is not who I'm supposed to be. And so then Romans chapter 8, Romans chapter 8, the Bible says in verse 15, uh, verse 14, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. Uh, for I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. So the Spirit itself bears witness with our spirit that we are the sons of God, children of God, and the Spirit that is in us cries, Abba, Father, meaning he stirs our heart to cry out to God uh, in prayer like a a child says, Daddy, to his daddy when he needs help. There is a a spirit, the Spirit of God works, if you would, the little S, spirit of prayer in our hearts when we're children of God. Now, that doesn't mean you pray automatically. It doesn't mean your flesh won't oppose, but the Spirit of God is there calling you to turn to your Father for what you need in your time of need. And when you comply with that, your joy will be full. Amen? So John is saying to you little children, I'm writing to you because you're members of the family. I want you to know that I recognize, though you're just a babe, though you're just new in the faith, and all you know is that God is your Father and your sins are forgiven, yet you're in the family. And so then he's writing to them. Then he says this in verse 13, I write unto you fathers. So he's going to talk about wise writing to the seasoned. I write unto you fathers because ye have known him that is from the beginning. And doesn't just call him the father here. He calls him that is from the beginning. That phrase is used throughout 1 John. He uses it there in the first verse of 1 John, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes which we've looked upon and our hands have handled, of the word of life. He is getting into a fuller comprehension of who Jesus Christ really is. When I received Christ as my Savior, I knew this. I'd heard he was the Son of God. If you asked me to explain the theology of that, I could not. I knew he was without sin. I knew that I had sin. I knew that I was on my way to hell because of my sin. And I knew that he was alive and in heaven would save me. When I asked Christ to save me, here's who he was to me, my Savior. 
But there came a time when I understood more fully who my Savior actually is. That He's also my Creator. How many of you knew that Jesus was Creator when you got saved? That's what you were thinking. He's my Creator. He was, but I didn't know that. I mean, I'd heard it, I'm sure. But theologically, I wouldn't say, I'm going to talk to my Creator and see if it... I'm going to talk to the one who died for me and ask him to save me, right? But as you grow in the Lord, you get a fuller understanding of who he truly... He that is from the beginning. It's saying, who's he talking about? God the Father or God the Son? Absolutely so. (laughs) You realize they're one and the same. That Jesus Christ is nothing more, nothing less than God our Creator who took on flesh... Now, when you grabbed hold of that truth and that truth grabbed hold of you, did it cause you to appreciate more of your salvation that you have? And did you grow an appreciation of your Savior when you realized more fully God, my Creator, came down and took on humanity and humbled Himself so that I could be saved? That will grow your appreciation for your salvation. When I was a babe, I got assurance of salvation, but mature people have appreciation for it. They appreciate who Jesus Christ is. He says, I write unto you fathers because you have known Him that is from the beginning, meaning you know who the Father of all is, all creation, and He is speaking of Jesus Christ being one with the Father and a deeper, fuller, clearer understanding of just exactly who Jesus Christ is. See, when you understand that Christ is Creator, that will put in you some boldness. He's not, he did not just come that I might, I'm grateful for assurance of salvation, but the one who saved me is also the one who's going to return for me. He's the same one that's with me. And if he spoke the world into existence, he has no problem dealing with my problems. The fathers understand some things the babes don't. He said, you've known him that is from the beginning. I wonder if he said that to a baby Christian, if they'd even know what he's talking about. Him that is from the beginning. But you say that to an adult Christian, they know exactly what you mean. I know you're talking about. You're talking about the same one who created me and also came in the person of flesh and died for me and is living today. There's a fuller understanding. Jesus Christ said, no man has seen God at any time. And, and And I don't want to misquote, but the idea would be this, that Jesus Christ, for you to know God the Father, Christ has to reveal him to you. You and I can't know who God the Father is, He that is from the beginning, without Christ in us teaching us more and more and more about the Father. He's constantly, once He has saved us, once He's dwelling in us, He is unfolding who God is to our understanding until one day we'll be in His presence and we'll see Him and know Him as we're known. And that's all because of Jesus Christ. The saint that's walked with the Lord Jesus Christ for a long time knows Him that is from the beginning. By the way, that's what John says both times. He writes to the fathers in verse 14. He says it again. I've written unto you fathers because you've known him that is from the beginning. Well, that's what he said in verse 13. Seems to me that is where it's all at. Paul said this after he'd been walking with the Lord a long time, that I may know him. And the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings be made conformable unto his death. He said, I want to know him. Moses said after he'd been walking with God for a number of times, uh, the idea that he expressed, I'm going to paraphrase, is that he had not yet begun to understand and know the things of God. That it was at, at better than 80 years old and having seen God do great miracles, he wanted to know God. That's what he asked for. He wanted to see the Lord because he had just begun to understand. And so the idea would be this, that he writes to the sucklings because they're members of the family. He writes to the seasoned because they're mature in the faith. 
He says, I need to write to you young ones so you can grow. I need to write to you older ones because... You know what he's saying? There's, there's fellowship. John had fellowship with the babes in Christ and wished to minister to them, but he had fellowship with those that were mature in Christ because they knew the same one he knew. And there was a level of fellowship there. And then thirdly, he writes to the strong because they were mighty in the faith. He says in verse 13, I write unto you fathers because you have known him that is from the beginning. I write unto you young men because you have overcome the wicked one. I write unto you little children, we're in the end of verse 13, because you have known the father. Verse 14, I've written unto you fathers because you have known him that is from the beginning. Excuse me, I've written unto you young men because ye are strong and the word of God abideth in you and you have overcome the wicked one. I don't want you to miss this tonight. There are a lot of times babes, they're still sucklings, who misunderstand where they're at spiritually, go out into battle and get whacked. I believe that. Uh, Paul, if he is as we think the writer of Hebrews, ever wrote Hebrews chapter 5, was rebuking the hearers there. He said, well, you ought to be teachers of others. You still have need of milk yourselves. And then what he says is the mark of being uh, people who are drinking milk is that you're unskillful in the word. Turn there, if you would, with me to Hebrews chapter 5. It's interesting to me, it's not a lack of knowledge in the word. It's a lack of skill in the word. There are people who know a lot of Bible verses, know a lot of references and where to find them, and they know how many books are in the Bible and maybe even how many chapters, and they know the order they go in, and they know that there's law and there's history and there's poetry and there's major prophets and minor prophets, and then there's New Testament, and they can just walk you right on through that, and they can memorize Sunday school verses, and that's wonderful, and you need to do that. I'm not belittling it, and I'm not putting it down. It needs to be done. But being in the Word of God is not the same as the Word of God abiding in you. Don't miss that. Be, you can read your Bible every day and fill your head with Scripture and remain a babe. You've got to eat what you're, what you're ingesting and you've got to keep it down. John said to those that were strong, to the young men, he said, you're strong and the Word of God, what? Abideth in you. Meaning you get it in you and you retain it, and you use it. And so then, Hebrews chapter 5, so I want you to see then, is spiritual maturity is not gauged by numbers of years of salvation. It is not gauged by the level of information in your head. It is gained by what you do with God's Word. Your use of God's Word is the direct indicator of your spiritual level uh, of maturity. Uh, So, Hebrews chapter 5, he says... Uh, verse 11, of whom, speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ, he's going to the deeper things of Christ and who he is. Uh, yes, he is our Redeemer and Savior. He's dealt with that for five chapters now, that he's our great high priest. But he begins to use Melchizedek in the Old Testament and the priestly order of Melchizedek to explain more fully who Jesus is. And then he says in verse 11, of whom we have many things to say and hard to be uttered, seeing ye are dull of hearing. How I many of you have met somebody left the church and they said something like this? Well, we had to leave there because we weren't being fed. Am I met somebody like that? Now, if you're one of those, you need to take inventory and make sure you're on the right side of things. We left the church because we weren't being fed. Let me just say this. I've been in some pretty interesting church services in my life. Interesting. I thank God. God's been very gracious to me uh, to put me in good churches. I've been in, uh, I've only been a member of a handful of churches in my life. And while I was there, there were good churches. Nonetheless, nonetheless, and being, being in a lot of churches, I've been in some interesting services. I've seen preachers do some very interesting things with the Bible. 
But I believe this. If the Bible is open, the Bible is preached, and you're hungry, God will feed you. Now, I'm not advocating staying in a bad church where someone's promoting heresy. I'm not saying that. I am saying this. Sometimes we say I'm not being fed. It's not that the Word of God's not being given. It's that we're dull of hearing. The penman of the Hebrews said, Look, I have a lot of things that need to be said to you, and they're hard to be uttered. Not because they're hard truths, but because you're hard of hearing. You're dull of hearing. You, you're, not, you're not developed spiritually as you should be. He goes on to say that, verse 12. For when the, for the time ye ought to be teachers. You ought to be teaching others about Christ. You ought to be able to unfold the mysteries of God to others because the Spirit of God has taught you. You ought to be more fully able to understand and help others understand that Jesus Christ is the Savior. Jesus Christ is the sanctifier. Jesus Christ is the enabler of your service. Jesus Christ is is the, the avenue of all of God's grace. You ought to be able to unfold that, take your Bible and do it. You ought to be teaching others. You have need that one teach you again which be the first principles of the oracles of God. It seems to me there were people here that when they should be able to give somebody else assurance of salvation, they've got to be given just the doctrine of grace all over again just to assure them that they're saved. That's what babes need. They need assurance. Your sins are forgiven. God is your Father. He says in verse 12, uh, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. For everyone that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, that would be the fathers, the seasoned ones, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Isn't it interesting? Hebrews 5, 1 Peter 2, it's the same thing. He says to put away malice and all those things in verse 1. And then in verse 2, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that ye may grow thereby. May I say this, and I believe this, especially in this information age, Satan loves to substitute for you something other than the food of God's word. He wants you to get spiritual instruction from some other source. It may be a blog post. It may be a a New York Times bestseller spiritual book. But I've watched this. People often, because of our nature, because of our slothful nature, it's flesh, We prefer something that is spiritual in content, but still not the Bible. First, we prefer the world's entertainment. We say, well, that's no good. You know, I really need some spiritual content, but I just have a hard time reading my Bible. I have a hard time ingesting that, so I'm going to read. I can't tell you the number of times I say, you reading your Bible? Yeah, I read a devotional. Well, devotionals are fine if they're biblical. But if I'm reading a devotional and not reading my Bible, that's not good. I'm not going to grow that way. What I'll do is I'll become a hearer and not a doer. I'll have a sense of spirituality while I'm staying. Well, I'm glad my sins are forgiven and God is my Father. Good. That's that's wonderful. But that's the comprehension of a babe. Strong men say, God is my Father. My sins are forgiven. Therefore, I am empowered to live in victory. You understand, young men go on from just knowing they're saved to knowing that they're going to win. You see, God didn't just save you. He did save you to keep you from condemnation. And He did save you to keep you from hell. But He also saved you to give you victory over sin in this life. And if you know your sins are forgiven, and you know God is your Father, you can lay hold of the Word of God and go and overcome the wicked one. And you know how you do it? With the Word of God abiding in you. You know how Jesus overcame the wicked one? The Word of God was abiding in Him. 
We see the picture of spiritual strength in Matthew chapter 4 and Luke 4 when Satan, the wicked one, encounters him and says, turn these stones into bread. He casts doubt. If you really were who God said you were, then you could satisfy your flesh in a moment of time. Because Jesus was exactly who God said he was, he refused to do so. You know what Satan does? If you really were saved. If you really are saved, he wants to cast doubt. Are you really a child of God? And then he wants to entice you into sin. You know what the person that is the young man who's strong in the faith says? God's word says this. And God's word says this. And God's word says this. Therefore, I won't go there. I'm tempted to commit this sin. I'm tempted to sin in this thought. I'm tempted to have this attitude. And yes, my flesh craves it. But God's word says... May I say this, you can have all the Bible you knowledge you want, but the mark of spiritual growth and strength is victory. That's what he's saying. He said, you little ones, I write to you because your sins are forgiven for Christ's sake. You're saved by faith and God is your Father. And he wants to strengthen them in that assurance. He says, I write to you fathers because you've known him that is from the beginning. You have a, a full understanding of who Jesus Christ is. I write to you young men because you've overcome the wicked one, he says in verse 13. Um, let me go turn back over there because you've overcome uh, the wicked one. He says again, verse 14, he says, I write un- I've written unto you young men because you are strong and the word of God abideth in you. There is a succession here. You're strong. Why were they strong? Because the word of God was abiding in them. They didn't, how does the word of God abide in you? This is rocket science. Just don't spit it out. It's that simple. Do we ever spit out the Bible? You know what will keep us spiritually as babes is coming to portions of Scripture and we go, I don't know about that. And so we skip around it. We dismiss it from our mind. We say, I don't think I want to think about that. I don't know if anybody that's truly saved says, I mean, there may be. I, that's just an absolute, I, that's a lie. No. But what we do is we, we won't ingest it. We won't accept it as accurate, true, and applicable to our lives. Those who are spiritually strong say, if it's the word of God, it's staying in me. Psalm 119, verse 11, Thy word have I hidden mine heart that I might not sin against thee. Where did he hide it? In his heart. And what happens is, we're in a preferential world where if I like the taste of something physically, I eat it, and if I don't, I spit it out. And we do everything by how it makes us feel. I heard a lost man commenting on this this week. He said, we're in a society where it doesn't matter what you say. It can be a lie, but if it makes somebody feel good, they'll keep it. They'll like you. Everything's about emotions and feelings rather than facts. As a lost man, he said that. But it was spot on right. He was saying it in the realm of politics. He said, it doesn't matter what this politician says or said. That doesn't matter. It's how it makes you feel. And so the words may be absolutely false, but if they make you feel secure, you'll vote for that guy. But friend, you can't do that with the Word of God. There are moments the Word of God makes me feel wonderful. You know what? When I know my sins are forgiven me for Christ's sake, when I know uh, that, that God is my Father, when I know that I'm eternally secure, what a wonderful feeling. When I know that it's time to move forward, but I'm comfy where I'm at, and God's Word's giving me some direction, that doesn't make me feel good, but it's still right. And those that are strong, the Word of God abides in them. That's what Jesus said. If ye abide in me, and my words 
abide in you, you shall ask what you will, and it shall be done to you. How many of you like getting answers to prayer? Now, we can study the Scripture. John 15, verse 7, which Rob just quoted from, is the key verse on that subject. But you'll note in Scripture, even with God and His children, Him listening to us is directly linked to how we listen to Him. It's just the way it is. If you listen to my word and keep my words, I'll listen to you and answer your prayer requests. He says in 1 John 5, He answers our prayers because we keep His commandments. And so then, answered prayers based on, that's why these young men are strong. The Word of God abides in them. It just, it's not just, they, they retain it. They, they eat it, swallow it, and keep it. And that makes them strong. And then the Bible says, uh, you're strong, and the Word of God abideth in you. This is verse 14. Uh, and ye have overcome the wicked one. I don't think there's a person in this room that doesn't want to overcome Satan. I know. I think every person in this room that says, I want to overcome him. Now, if you don't want to, you've got a problem. If you don't see Satan as your enemy, you've got to ask what team you're playing for. <laughs> but I'm, I'm just believing that you're saved tonight and you want to overcome. That's going to be directly linked to what we do with the Word of God. I believe this. If you find some area of defeat in your life, there's one of two things going on. You're still immature in the Word and you need to grow in the knowledge of His Word. You're saved, forgiven, and a child of God, but you need to grow in the knowledge of His Word. If I have that knowledge and I'm still defeated, somewhere I'm not keeping his word. Somewhere I'm, I'm rejecting something he says. It may be a young person, they say, I want victory in this area of my life, but I'm not going to have mom and dad tell me what to do in this area of my life. It doesn't work that way. If you reject honor thy father and thy mother, you're not going to get victory over temptation. I want victory over here, but I want to be deceitful over here. Nope. It can't work that way. You can't reject God's word of commandment and hang on his word of promise. You've got to let it all abide in you, commandments and promises. That makes sense? And so then, uh, the strong are strong because the word of God abideth in them, and because the word of God is abiding, they overcome the wicked one. Now, thirdly, the result of his communication. We've seen the recipients, the sucklings and the seasoned and the strong. We've seen the reasoning behind it because the young ones were members of God's family just like everybody else. God was their father. Their sins are forgiven. The, the aged knew him that was from the beginning. They were seasoned in their understanding of the Lord and been, they were teaching others as well. That's part of what that father means. And then the strong ones because they'd overcome the wicked one. There was a camaraderie with John in all of these. They had something. John's sins were forgiven. God was John's father. John knew what it was to be strong in the word of God and overcome the wicked one. And John knew what it was to know him that was from the beginning. And he could relate at some level to every member of the family. And so he's speaking to each, uh, each one of them at their different maturity levels. And then thirdly, the result of his communication. First of all, it gives some clarity. If there was some people, the seducers that he'll mention in chapter 2, coming in among them, giving doctrines that could not be found in the revelation of God's word and, and, and projecting themselves as elite, you need to listen to us because we have knowledge you'll never get. John's saying, look, what they were doing is setting themselves apart and aside as being in some different kind of a class. And John says, no, we're all members of the same family. We're all in the same family, and we're all to be growing, and we all need God's Word. And so uh, I believe the first thing it does, it gives some clarity. Number one, it gives clarity about what salvation is. Your sins are forgiven for Christ's sake. God is your Father. It gives clarity about what the next step is, spiritual victory. Let the Word of God abide in you. Don't reject what He has to say. You let it abide. You stay in the light. You'll not only have fellowship, you'll have victory. 
And it tells about what spiritual maturity is, a full understanding of God through Christ Jesus. And so it gives clarity. When we get light, it gives clarity. Number two, because of clarity, there was some comprehension. Don't you think there was some comprehension when John, the apostle, writes to the new believers, hey, your sins are forgiven. It's not up in the air. God's not waiting till you die to find out whether or not he's going to pardon you. It's done. It's finished. You're forgiven for Christ's sake. When you put your trust in Christ, it was a sealed deal. <laughs> that's, that's a theme throughout John's book. He never questions whether or not the saved are saved or the lost are lost. Did your sins are forgiven you for Christ's sake? You know God is your Father. Don't you think it was an encouragement to be commended by John for spiritual growth and maturity? People who had a, a, a good understanding of who Jesus Christ is and who thereby who God is. And so there's, there is commendation that instills in them confidence. One of the things I hear throughout the book of John, 1 John, is he is instilling confidence, not fear in God's people. May I say, while we need to uh, examine ourselves whether we be in the faith. You, it is not healthy to live your Christian life constantly examining where God has said it's finished. If you have taken God at His Word from the Word of God and put your trust in Christ, it's settled. He saved you. It's done. And any preaching that's constantly, I don't want anybody that's lost to think they're saved, but I wouldn't want for one minute a person that has truly been saved to ever think they're lost. And John says, your sins are forgiven you. They're wiped, they're wiped away. You're in Christ. That's not going to change. That gives you spiritual momentum to know it's settled. I'm not in limbo. I'm not hanging between death and life. I'm not hanging between heaven and hell. Hell is behind me. Heaven's in front of me. My past is behind me. I am a new creature. I'm not trying to become one. I am one. Therefore, I have in Christ what I need to overcome the wicked one. It instilled confidence, uh, commendation and clarity and comprehension, gave confidence. His statements were affirming both of their spiritual position and their spiritual progress. You know, it's one thing for you to perceive, well, I believe I'm moving forward, but wouldn't it be encouraging if some saint of God said, boy, it's encouraging to see your progress and your spiritual victory. Don't you think it was a shot in the arm for some of them to be told, hey, we do have victory, and we do know we have it because it's in the Word of God. And so then, uh, it was certainly affirming to them to instill confidence in them. And it must have also at the same time been a challenge. For the babes in Christ, you know what John's saying? This is not where you're supposed to stay. For the strong, he's letting them know there's still room for you to grow. And for those that knew him that was from the beginning, he says, I still have things to write to you. Even though you have a good, full understanding of who the Lord is, there's still some things that need to be said to you to strengthen you in your faith. And so, undoubtedly, every one of us need the written Word of God, no matter what spiritual phase we're at, to be challenged. To stay on course, to continue to do its right, to grow in the Lord to the next level of maturity. And then finally, I believe, and this may have been one of his major goals, it would have produced concord among God's people. By that I mean, instead of... Well, you people over here are the spiritual lowlifes, and you'll always, you're spiritual peasants. You'll always be peasants. And you are the spiritual middle class. See, we classify people by carnal methods, don't we? We classify people by economic standing. We classify people uh, by uh, ethnicity. We classify people by a number of ways. And what happens when that creeps into God's house, it's wicked. I believe that's what, John, what uh, Colossians, I believe it is, talks about. Uh, when it speaks of the rudiments of this world, the principles by which the world operates. John says the only thing that makes classifications in the family of God is 
Paul said in Ephesians, you're gifting. That's a distinction. But when it comes to strength and ability, it only has to do with your maturity. Just like in a family. What makes the distinctions among the children is not how much they're loved or who really is their father, but the idea of where they are in their spiritual development. And so then it certainly was a matter of concord for John to say, I the apostle. John, John was the only apostle that was at the foot of the cross when Jesus was crucified. And he could have said, I am, I am above all the other apostles. I have an understanding of Christ they could never have because they weren't at the cross. I am the one that leaned on his bosom and whispered in his ear, which is he that betrayeth thee. I'm the one. John never said that. He wouldn't even say his own name. You know what he's saying? We're all on this, in the same family. And it's true in this room tonight. Your sins are forgiven you for Christ's sake. For those of you who have victory, for those who've been at it a long time and have a good understanding of Christ, we may be distinguished by spiritual development, but not spiritual position. All in the same family. Does that not, is it not intended to break down the animosity that comes through envy? That which produces envy and strife. May I say this, our flesh is always looking for how we can get up above somebody else. What can I find in me that makes me superior to you? John says, I've been saved longer and I've handled the Lord, but my purpose is not to keep you inferior, but to bring you up. To help bring you up. We're all supposed to grow up into the fullness of Christ, are we not? The measure of the fullness of Christ. The stature of a full man is likeness to Christ. And so then, in addressing these three groups of people, I believe he is seeking to biblically and righteously unite them. We're all in the same family. Each of us is to be growing and to commend them and to encourage them and to strengthen them so that they're not thrown aside by these coming in, bringing in false doctrines and false ideologies about some light that's outside of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Said, no, it's not the way it is. You're in the family of God. Sins are forgiven. You have overcome. I have some things to say. There's not a person in your group that I'm not going to address, whether you're mature or a babe in Christ. There's something for you to help you serve the Lord.